locked off. Pixel Advocate back again. Back with the second installment of We Were Atari Kids. Um, part one, we talked a little bit about my introduction to video games and Atari and just kind of that voyage and the various facets of that. Um, interacting with Friends, peers, parents, peripherals, other systems that were around at the same time, that sort of thing. That was a lot of fun. So here in part two, it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of theme. In this one, I'm talking about the kind of stepping away from Atari or the the waning of the Atari influence in my video gaming life. Now, I hope that that doesn't sound too negative. Um, it's, and maybe it will in some ways that, you know, when you're listening to it, but I mean, this is the way it happened. And I think, um, I think a lot of you out there will kind of identify with kind of this uh, path that I went down here that, that I'm going to describe. I wasn't stepping away from video games by any means. It was just kind of moving away from Atari and, um, let's say, broadening my horizons. And, um, you know, I talked about how, you know, we come full circle. And, you know, as adults, as retro gamers, we kind of have a overarching perspective of how all this stuff played out and you know Atari is right back up there at the top of the list of what you appreciate but this episode is going to focus on kind of the the headspace of of being that that kid who was was growing away from Atari and kind of transitioning away from it so that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about here let's get let's get started part 2 of 2 wasn't too much after that that the flame started to burn kind of low for us with the Atari. It started to kind of wane in its allure, especially relative to other platforms. It's not like we were tired of video games, but the Atari was starting to, I don't know, let's say get a little stale. Um, it was still everywhere. It was still by by far, for us at least, the most you know ubiquitous platform of them all. But 
at the same time, we'd started to see examples of other things popping up that would make us kind of give us a taste of what else is out there. Remember, there was this family friend who lived across the street from us. Actually, it was the friend's grandmother who lived across the street. So he was only over there sometimes. Like It's not like we could go over there any day of the week and he would be there. But he would be there semi-regularly, let's say. One time we were just over there hanging out with him. And he invited us inside. And they had an Intellivision. Had never seen Intellivision before. Up until this point. We were just blown away. Thought it was just amazing. Didn't even really have very many games. I I remember they had the the what's it called? Blackjack, the one with the is that the is it casino? I don't even know. I think it's blackjack. Um they had boxing. I'm not even sure if it was called boxing, but it was a boxing game. I still remember that I can still picture what these boxers look like. Like it was yesterday. And this was something I played once or twice, you know, in the in the mid mid late eighties. They had auto racing. That's a really cool game. That was my favorite. Been playing that a little bit on uh, emulation lately. Pretty cool. Very impressive for the time. And I think they had a baseball game. That was really cool as well. Com- at least compared to, you know, real sports baseball on twenty six hundred. The game utterly sucks. I don't know. Maybe don't agree with me, but I can't stand that game. I never, I never could. But. Even back when I was a kid, I thought it was terrible. We got a taste of this in television, and it was just, it was just something different. Like the that controller, you know, history hasn't been kind to the television controller. But at the time, it was cool to have those kind of overlays and in all the different buttons and the the different style of 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 controller. It was just neat. And in, in the games just seemed to have that little bit of extra something. And not only that, it was just something different. Because we were so saturated with Atari that to get something different and cool was just very, very interesting for us. But like I said, this, this friend was, you know, it's not like we always had the opportunity to go over there and play the Intellivision. And I, I distinctly remember this one day. I didn't really have anything to do. I was just kind of hanging out in the front yard. Bored as hell. And I was thinking about playing in, uh, that in television. I was thinking to myself, I wish I could just go over there. I wish David was there so that he could come over and invite me over and I could go over there and I could play in television. And so what I ended up doing... This is a true story. I remember sitting on the front porch of my parents' house, just sitting there with my hands crossed, intently, patiently, quietly sitting there, just on the odd chance that David would show up at his grandma's house and I would have a chance of going over there to play on television. And guess what? He showed up. I remember at the time I couldn't believe it. 
I saw the car pull in. He gets out of the car. He saw me sitting on the front porch. He didn't even go in the house. He walked across the street. He's like, hey, what's going on? And I kind of weaseled my way into uh, into the his grandma's living room to play on television. It was great. Proud of myself. And another time we were at uh, my parents' friend's house. These This particular... Um, set of friends, this couple, they were, I remember them having the impression that they were kind of rich, like they had a big house. You know, my parents were not rich, but they, you know, definitely comfortable. But in comparison, this particular house was just very big, and they had this big garage with fancy cars in it, and all these little things in their house that we didn't have. And I remember just having this impression that it was just, these people were rich. Now, how true that was, I don't know, but that's the impression I had at the time. We were just kind of hanging out there while the while my parents were socializing and we were kind of bored. Then we noticed that there was a, a console over by the, the television in the front room, and it was it ended up being an Atari 5200. Now, I don't... I tried to remember exactly when this was. I'm going to guess it was probably 85 or so. 1985. So we politely asked the host, can we go play that video game over there? Yeah, go nuts. So we went over there and we um, were smart enough by this point to know how to turn it on and get it running. This was the one and only time I had ever seen an Atari 5200 when it was reasonably current. Of course, I've seen them since in the realm of retro, let's say. But when it was kind of sort of current, this was the only one I ever saw. I'm pretty sure that at the time I saw it, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know there was such a thing existed. We went through, um, played all the games. I remember playing pole position and thinking how cool it was that this home version of pole position, they actually had the signs on the side of the road. You know, in the arcade game, they have the signs as you're, they come zooming towards you as you're ripping around the track. But the Atari 2600 version, the one that I had cut my teeth on, had no signs. And so this one that had the signs, I just thought, wow, is that ever neat? I remember playing um, a game called Countermeasures. I don't know how I remember that because I've never played the game since. I don't even know what it's about. I just remember the name. What else? Kicks. Some people call it Quicks, but I believe the correct pronunciation is Kicks. Q-I-X. We were playing that game and not really having a clue what the heck I was supposed to do. But I always kind of remembered that game, and it actually has gone on to become, I wouldn't say a favorite, game I really enjoy playing on my main cabinet. The arcade version, obviously. Because of that memory. I remember, that's what... If it weren't for me seeing that Atari 5200 that day in the mid-80s, I probably never would have even tried Kicks on my main cabinet. But I did. And I actually figured out how you're supposed to play it, and I really, really liked the game. Uh, what else did they have? Um, Pac-Man. 
and Frogger. Those are the ones I remember. You know, I've played the the fifty two hundred since, and I really really like that system. I, the controllers suck. I mean, that doesn't even need to be said. That's self evident. That non self centering controllers, but the games themselves, like the actual core, the heart of those games, I just think they're very like for the, especially for the time. They channel the arcade spirit really well. I really, even though I didn't grow up with those versions of the games, to play them now, I, I can see that. And in fact, you know, I think a lot of the games, I even like them better than the 7800 versions for some reason. Not all, not all games, but some of them. So that was in television um, in 5200. Coleco, um, the ColecoVision, at the time... Never saw one. You know, I, I've I've played it several times since, but back when it was relevant, let's say, in a non-niche market, never saw one, never played it. I do remember my best friend, his neighbor across the street supposedly had one, but I never managed to weasel my way in there to play it. Another thing that kind of help to bring light to the um, age of the 2600 was the computers that were starting to become more and more common. Um, in particular, I had two really good friends that had TRS-80s. And at least just as many, if not more, friends than that that had Commodore 64s. Both of those platforms, more so the Commodore 64, but... They have some, some pretty cool games. The sheer volume, the variety that people were able to have by copying discs and, and this and that. So I would go over to a friend's house and they would just have this this box full of discs. And each disc would have more than one game on it, like several games on it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I could just spend a day here and just go through, I want to play every one of these games. Of course, I could never do that because I didn't have a Commodore and I was never sitting in front of one long enough to do that, but just that's just something I wanted to do. Just I wanted to experience all of it. But there were a lot of really cool games. The availability and, and all of that, and the sound, the sound on the C64, really, really cool. All of these things added up to just making the Atari 2600 seem so ordinary and stale. And eventually, this sounds bad, but it really, I mean, it really is kind of it, the way it was at the time. It got to a point where the, the 2600 kind of took on a better-than-nothing status. Like, as in, it's not the best, but hey, better than nothing. You know, that doesn't sound very complimentary, and it's not. But, it, you know, after playing it, almost exclusively for several years. It was just, I think we were just kind of anxious to, to move on to something else. What kept it afloat was just, it was just still so common, and there were, there were cartridges everywhere, and everyone had it, and you could still exchange cartridges with people in the neighborhood and, you know, and friends at school. And so that kind of kept it going longer than I think it otherwise would have. No, 
know a lot of people like to point to games like Pac-Man and E.T. for kind of bringing the industry down, bringing the ruining and ruining the future for the 2600 and leaving a sour taste in people's mouths and all that. That may have been true to an extent, but I think most of us in this hobby agree, you know, in hindsight, that the effects, the negative effects of Pac-Man and E.T. are way, way overstated. You know, Pac-Man, as I said earlier, that was the first game aside from combat that we ever got. And I remember enjoying it a lot. Now, of course... I didn't know any better. I had never played the original arcade game. In fact, I never got a chance to play the original arcade game until many, many years later. So, I guess I didn't know what I was missing. And of course, eventually, Ms. Pac-Man came along and, and on the 2600 and blew away Pac-Man. I guess Pac-Man started to look a little more sick you know, and, and I mean that in a bad way, not like the way the teenagers use that word nowadays, but looked bad in comparison to Ms. Pac-Man. And you know what I really hate about the uh, original Pac-Man on 2600? I can forgive the horrendous color scheme. I can even forgive the ridiculous flickering of the ghosts and the fact that they don't have their individual personalities and colors. And yes, I can even forgive the digital wafer in place of the fruit. But what I can't stand about that game is how when the slightest nick of a ghost, like if the little lower left pixel of a ghost touches Pac-Man, he dies. It's just too picky on the hit detection. When you play the arcade game, you can rip around the corners and you can have you can have a brush with death against a ghost at an intersection where you basically overlap with it, but just not enough, but you still survive. That really, really makes the game intense. It like ramps up the tension. If every time you nick the ghost, you die, it ends up just ticking you off. It's just not as fun. So that's what I that's my one thing about the original Pac-Man I can't stand. E.T. You know it's not no, it's not a very good video game. But like I said before, I think most people in the know seem to agree that how like the the level of you know, you know how bad E.T. was. It just gets way blown out of proportion. It, it is true, though, that that game, at least in my neighborhood, didn't have a bad reputation. History hasn't been responsible for completely fabricate, fabricating the story that E.T. was disliked. At least in my experience. It genuinely was disliked at the time. And it's not just a product of the internet and YouTube and whatever else. I remember people would always, you know, leave controllers and cartridges at our house. 
and, you know, conveniently, it was never any good games, like an Activision game, or, you know, Empire Strikes Back, something like that. It was always E.T. You show up with a shoebox full of games, conveniently, E.T. would end up, their, their copy of E.T. would end up stuck between the cushions and the couch, and they'd go home and leave it there. I'm pretty sure we had about five copies of that cartridge through the years. And when we finally retired the Atari, we had on hand about five copies of that game. Not a coincidence, I'm sure. And another time, I remember walking around in garage sales, looking at Atari games that people were selling. I remember seeing games like Sequest and um, a few other, you know, Activision games, good, decent games. They were selling for between five and ten bucks a piece. And E.T. was sitting there on the same table, and it was 25 cents. So that at least tells you that people were aware that the game wasn't very desirable. But really, it isn't that bad of a game. Anyway, the um, system was getting stale. We've established that around this time. Roughly around the time of that um, under 50 bucks, under 50 bucks campaign where they brought the Atari 2600 Junior back to market, try to squeeze a little bit more revenue out of that the old standby Atari 2600, which at this point was over 10 years old. What, maybe 11, 12 years old? I don't know how successful that was for Atari from a business perspective. I really don't. Maybe I mean, I'm sure it made them some money, especially selling a system for that cheap. But it had the side effect of really making Atari seem, at least in the eyes of the kids in the neighborhood, made Atari seem really cheap and crappy. Because when you, you take a system that's that old and you're actually marketing it as something cool and exciting for a good price... But at the same time, it's on the store shelves beside the likes of, you know, like the NES and Sega Master System. It just looks really crappy in comparison. As a historian, you can look back and it's easy to explain. Well, look, it's 12 years older, blah, blah. But when you're a kid, you don't care about that. All you care about is when you take the thing home and plug it in, what do the graphics look like? Right? So anyway, we were still we still had our original Atari at the time, and we were still playing it, but we were definitely ripe for an upgrade. Um, I remember seeing around that time when I was shopping with my mom at some department store, they had an NES kiosk set up. And it had the well-known Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers cartridge playing there on this kiosk. So I played both games. I remember thinking that these games were just amazing. Like the idea of shooting a gun at a screen and things are dying. I thought that was so neat. And the graphics were kind of cartoony and colorful and they weren't all blocky. Then with Super Mario Brothers, I had the, the music and the, the scrolling screen that just keeps changing rather than repeating all the time. It was just... It was really, really cool. I was blown away. But for some reason, I 
I think I was so blown away that the whole idea of, of having that system just seemed like kind of out of reach. It didn't even occur to me to maybe ask my mom if I can have that for my birthday or for Christmas or whatever, because it just seems so incredible that I, that I would be overstepping by asking to have it. I think that's what I thought. I don't know, because I, because I never, you know, for being as blown away by it as I was, that's the only explanation I can think of for why I didn't get it in my mind that I wanted to have one at that time. Of course, I did later, but, you know, I'm talking about when I first saw it. Um, then a little after that, there's this, this older kid in the neighborhood who actually, get this, he had a job. So he was earning money, and he had bought a Sega Master System. Every now and then, he would um, pack it up and bring it over. Like, his parents were weird. His parents didn't really like having other kids over there, so we couldn't go to his house and play it. But every now and then, he would negotiate with his brother some time for him to uh, to pack it up into a bag and bring it up the street to our house. Again, I was just utterly blown away. The, the colors and the graphics and the sound was just so much better than what I was uh, accustomed to. You know, and looking back at the games he brought over, there's there's nothing to scream about, you know, in hindsight. There was pro wrestling on the Sega Master System, which is kind of a, you know, lackluster tag team style wrestling game. I still like it, but I think that's more than nostalgia talking. I can see how objectively it's not a very good game. But at the time, I, I had nothing like it. So I thought that was just... Fantastic. And he also had Rocky, you know, as in you know, Rocky Balboa. I didn't like that game as much as pro wrestling, but again, I thought it was really cool because I was, you know, I was and still am a huge fan of the Rocky movies. So to have a video game based on this where the characters actually kind of resemble who they're supposed to look like. But that game, you know, wow. In retrospect, playing that now, that game is absolutely stupid. Sucks. It was cool at the time, and he had baseball. Like that, that was the first baseball game I really played, where you have that really nice kind of view from behind the pitcher, rather than this kind of universal one screen kind of overhead view, like you would see on the Atari. And that game was just, you know, I haven't played that game in a long time, so I don't know if it really holds up. But at the time, it was it was amazing. Um, and he had a few other games as well, but those are the ones I remember. And especially that wrestling game. I remember going to school after that, after he packed up the Atari, or the Sega, and brought it home. The next day, next couple days at school, it was just all I could think about was how much I wanted, how much I wished I had that game to myself. And games like it. Since I didn't have a Sega and I didn't have a Nintendo, I asked my mom if, um, when my birthday came around, if she could buy me a wrestling game so that I could play it on the Atari. And so, of course, it's Title Match Pro Wrestling. Which I guess I probably don't need to tell you was a bit of a disappointment in comparison. I mean, in fact, that might be one of the worst video games I have ever played in my entire life. And I'm not exaggerating. 
It's just awful. So that just kind of underlined the fact that, yeah, this, this system has run its course. A little bit after that, I guess it would be in 1987, my brother and I were in a bowling league on Saturday afternoons. My mom would bring us there, we'd bowl our games, and then we were done. We would always spend a little bit of time in the arcade at the bowling alley. You know, they had a, in typical fashion, they would have, you know, a group of, say, a dozen games that would kind of be cycled around, like a couple of them would disappear every few weeks and be replaced by new ones. And at one point, pole position two came through. Now, this is 1987, so this game was already a few years old, but it was new to us. We would play that after bowling and just thought it was awesome. I think my brother liked it a bit more than I did. But I thought it was awesome too. And it was just kind of the way the timing worked out. We became obsessed with that game, Pole Position 2, at the bowling alley. Right around the time we heard about this other Atari system, Atari 7800, that came with a packing game called Pole Position 2. So that was enough to make us completely forget about the Sega, the Nintendo, and get after our parents to say, look, for Christmas, please, please, we need an Atari 7800, please. That's so, so that's what we had our minds set on. No, and it's kind of funny, because that would never happen now. Or at least not with an adult kind of way of thinking about things, you know, where you kind of research things before you commit to them. Because if we had any way of knowing that the Atari 7800 was just a big underdog at the time, you know, with no third-party support, most of the games are just kind of rehashes. We probably would have passed on the pole position too and looked a little bit further ahead to something else. But we didn't have an internet. We didn't have credible word of mouth. We just went with our guts. We wanted pole position too, so that's what we asked for. That's what we got. Christmas in 1987, we got Atari 700. You know, unlike the uh, track and field for uh, Atari 2600 story that I told you earlier, we didn't find the Atari 7800 and take it out and play it. It was tempting. We knew it was there, but we didn't take it out and play it. And alongside the console, we got a few cartridges. Xevious. Robotron 20-4. And uh, Food Fight. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we peaked early in our exposure to uh, Atari 7800 games. Um, Pole Position 2 was... You know, I don't think it's that great of a game. And I don't think I was blown away by it at the time, but it was good enough. I mean, I remember being satisfied with it. I remember thinking it was, it was great, it was fun. It was scratching our itch to play Pole Position 2 at home at the time. But... The star of the show was Xevious. I'd never heard of Xevious at the time. Didn't you know we were too young to have been at arcades or anything like that to see it? Never heard of the game before, and of course it, it didn't come out uh, on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. 
So we didn't, you know, just weren't aware of it. But my mom just, when she bought the system, she just picked a few random games, and Zevius was one of them. Um, in that game, you know, wow. Just absolutely loved it. and Still love it. Just never seen anything like it at the time. Like, finally, we've moved beyond this paradigm where you've got this ship at the bottom of a screen that just slides back and forth and shoots up at racks of en enemies at the top of the screen. You know, it's not like there's anything wrong with that, per se. But let's face it, guys, that had been done and done and done to death. Here, we've got... We've ditched the generic space background, and you've got different colors, varying terrain. And the screen is scrolling, it's always changing. And you've got all these different enemies. And you've got ability to shoot enemies in the sky and drop bombs on the ground. Oh, it's just amazing. Robotron 284. At the time, there was... We enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the game. It was probably... Of those four games that we got originally, that's probably my fourth favorite. I still liked it. But it was probably... Bottom of the list. But... Now... It's probably top of the list for me. I mean, at least, you know, when you look at the original arcade versions, Robotron is it's just absolute classic. If you have a way of playing with dual stick controls, it's just... Robot Robotron is a desert island game for me, for sure. Um, food Fight... Again, another game I'd never heard of, never played before. What a great little game. Um, just playing that yesterday, actually, on the, the emulator, on my tablet here, while I'm traveling. You know what, that Atari 7800 version is is really, really, really strong. It's actually, it's one of the few, one of the very, very few console games that I can actually say I like better than the arcade version. Now, I have played the arcade version on real hardware several times. It definitely helps to play it on real hardware as opposed to emulation because it has kind of a funky joystick. I think it's not just a standard eight-way joystick on that on that cabinet. So if you don't have the real hardware, it, the game's not going to really play right. But even still, even Food Fight on a real cabinet versus 7800, Maybe it's nostalgia talking here, I don't know. But I think I enjoy the 7800 version more than the arcade. But like I said, kind of peaked early on the 7800 because that initial wave of games, Pole Position 2, Xevious, Robotron, and Food Fight, they were great. We got a lot of hours of entertainment out of those up front. Loved it. All the neighborhood kids who came over loved it. But then what came next, it was just kind of a string of disappointments. Um, I think the next game we got was Karatika, or Karatika, or however you pronounce it. That game, like I said earlier about title match pro wrestling being one of the worst games I've ever played in my life, while that's true, Karatika on Atari 7800 is worse than the worst game I've ever played in my life. 
is just, it's indefensible. It's just awful. You have these bizarre controls that are the least intuitive of anything that I can think of. You have, you know, this, this lag time in between when you actually try and do something and something actually happens. You have this bizarre mechanic where you have to get into a fight position and you have to get into a different position to run. It's just, it sucks. It's terrible. Now, we played it. We played it a lot. Because, you know, that's what you did back then. You only had the games that you had and you played the games that you had. But I could tell it was just not a very good game, even at the time. Then after that, we got Dig Dug. Now, don't get me wrong. A great version. Atari 7800 Dig Dug is, you know, it's a very good version. There's nothing to be ashamed of there, but it was just, how do I put this? It just felt like a little bit too late in the game to be playing Dig Dug. You know, you could see what was available elsewhere. Dig Dug was this old arcade game. It just, you know, it had a single screen. It's kind of like a maze-like mechanic to it had the golden age style arcade graphics and sounds all of which I absolutely love today by the way but at the time it, w- it wasn't it wasn't what we were craving again a good game just bad timing we got choplifter you know it's, it, it's not a bad game I mean the graphics look decent sound effects are okay I guess the way that the chopper controls is kind of neat. It's a neat concept. But I might be a little bit biased on this. I just don't like Choplifter. Period. I don't like the arcade game, any version. I just don't like it. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. But even if I did like it, I, I'm not sure the Atari 7800 version is the best example of Choplifter. It's got one level and the game ends. I mean, it just seems... It's like they're not even trying. Now that's probably not the case, but it just—it's it, just kind of illustrative of the position of the Atari Seventy Hundred at the time. It just didn't have the developer muscle behind it, the marketing muscle. It, it was just—it was an underdog, and Choplifter was um, underwhelming accordingly. And we had various other games and. Ms. Pac-Man, that's a good version. Again, old game though. I already played this. I I, I don't want to play Ms. Pac-Man anymore. I mean, when I say that, I'm speaking, you know, in the voice of my 1988 self. I I love Ms. Pac-Man now, but at the time, that's not what I wanted to play. And then you throw in the fact that, to this day, I, I can't name a single other person on this planet that I've met in person who had, or has, an Atari 7800. So, in stark contrast to the days of the 2600, when everybody and their brother had the console, and by extension had a few games, then you can trade games, you can try out new games without having to buy them, people will lend you games, people will bring games over and leave them at your house so you can basically keep them. You get this vast well of like basically free entertainment. 
But you didn't have that with 7800. Nobody had it. Not only did nobody have it, but there weren't that many games anyway. You know, all, all this kind of adds up to a ho-hum experience, I guess, kind of a disappointment. And, you know, I, I, I guess some people will cite the backwards compatibility of 7800 as being this, this big bonus. I don't know if I, I just don't really agree with that, I guess. I mean, I guess as a retro gamer, that's a fabulous feature in the new millennium to sit down and have one Atari console that can play most Atari 2600 games and all Atari 7800 games. That's awesome, right? How handy, how convenient. But in 1988, 1989, I'm more inclined to say, who cares if this thing plays Atari 2600 games? I don't want to play those anyway. I'm bored of that stuff. I moved on. No, again, I can't stress enough that that's my late 80s self-speaking. Of course, those games have come back around, and I've once again appreciate the magic of those games, but at the time, I didn't care. Compounding the problem was the fact that NES was really starting to uh, pick up steam around this time. Um, what started out as just this unattainable wonder in that department store at the kiosk is now starting to show up everywhere. Friends at school are showing up saying, yeah, I got it for my birthday. You know, my cousin got one. He, he brought it over when they came to visit. Get exposed to some of the quality stuff that was coming out on that platform. It really made my 12-year-old self want to have a Nintendo. I'm not going to lie. Super Mario Brothers. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. To this day, one of my favorite video games of all time. It's just such a great game. Just the aesthetic of it. The music. The um, the whole concept of it. Like the stupid cheesy comments in between the uh, rounds. Such a great game. And of course going back to my uh, addiction to pro wrestling games. Remember I talked about the Sega Master System. Remember getting or playing the uh, pro wrestling on NES. It was completely different from the Master System game but just as fun. Actually more fun. Loved that game. Still do. And there were others. Those are some examples that quickly come to mind. So it didn't take long uh, before my brother and I kind of sat down and said, look, we've given it the old, we've, uh, given it the old college try with this Atari 7800. We're going to talk mom and dad into buying us yet another system here. We need uh, Nintendo. To this day, there's you'll see on the Retro gaming forums, see people arguing about NES versus Atari 7800. I'm not here to take sides or, or engage in those ridiculous console wars or anything. I'm just giving you the facts as I saw them. That was my experience at the time. I started with 7800. I tried to like it. And I did for a short time. It just ran out of steam. It just didn't, it didn't have any steam. There are some gems in the library and I really really would like to see what would have been possible had the system been backed by adequate marketing by K 
capable third-party developers and all that. It's just too bad that we'll never know what would have been possible, but what's done is done, and the system didn't quite make it. Luckily, I don't know how we, I managed to do it, but um, not even two years after getting the Atari 7800 Christmas, talked my uh, mom into buying me uh, an NES for my birthday. Got the action set with the Super Mario Duck Hunt with the Zapper in 1989, I think it was. And the rest is history. Now I'm not gonna. I'm gonna kind of stop there on the story. This is, after all, this is the Atari episode. After getting into Nintendo, the Atari really took a back seat for me. Um, I did end up getting a Lynx a little bit later. Maybe I'll talk about that as well in the future. But other than that, Atari was pretty much dead to me um, for years uh, until it must have been around late 90s when I was in university. I remember sitting in the engineering center on the the computer systems and I was just bored. And for some reason, I decided to do an internet search on Atari. I don't know what made me think of it because I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but I was surprised to see all these websites, even then, that were up, had all this history, all this information, these pictures, and it, and it just gave me this warm, fuzzy feeling, to use a cheesy term. And it was at that point where I realized that you could download these things called emulators and you could you could play these old games on your computer. Now, I, I saw this written on a website. I'm like, no, no way. There's no way. So I tried it. I downloaded it. It was Stella famous Stella emulator. And I, I can't remember how how or where I found it or where I found the ROMs, but I, you know, I got them. And um, I loaded it up and I was playing it in this little window on the computer screen. It wasn't full screen, it was just this little little window. And if I remember correctly, I think I had to do it that small so that it would run at full speed. Or maybe I just didn't know how to make it full screen, I forget. But I was, There I was in the engineering center on a, on a university computer playing Atari 2600 games. I couldn't believe my eyes. And so then when I got home, I downloaded the emulator there. And I, I just went through as many games as I could think of. And you know, it wasn't quite the same, but it was really cool to see again. And I think on a semi-regular basis from that point on, I would go back and play those games. I think that that was kind of foreshadowing what was to come when, when I was going to become, you know, a full-fledged retro gamer. You know, I was going to go get the real hardware and go buy another system. And that's what I eventually ended up doing in uh, in the new millennium here a couple of years ago. So the rest is history. I guess I was, I've always been an Atari kid. <laughs> And so concludes part two of two of We Were Atari Kids from the Pixel Advocate. So what'd you think? Did you enjoy that as much as I enjoyed recording it? Drop me a line, pixeladvocate at outlook.com. That's all one word, pixeladvocate at outlook.com. If there's uh, anything you want to say via email or if you want to send in 
an audio submission, that's welcome as well. And um, we can keep this discussion going. If not, that's cool too. We'll move on to other things. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was a good, that was a fun fun journey for me going through this again. Um, I listened back to this uh, before I published these episodes, and kind of kind of fun reliving it again. And um, glad I kind of documented this because went back through my notes that I wrote down for this up these two episodes and. Um, I had already kind of, you know, some of the details, I was like, whoa, I'm glad I, glad I kind of wrote this down. Because, um, you know, the older you get, the more things fade day by day. But we're all about preservation here, right? So, with that, don't forget, may we all appreciate what we have today. And in our fleeting spare moments, may we fondly reflect upon our pixel perfect past. Bye for now.